When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. We're doing the running game. It's numbers and film. It's the 6-3 and three Cleveland Browns getting ready for the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. And we are talking about the two guys that you are falling in love with Browns fans. It's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They were back together again in the win over the Texans. And on this version of Gotta Watch the Tape, we often split the podcast into two halves. There's a Scott half and there's an Ellis half. But Ellis had this idea, we want to lean in to the run game. And so we are going to just mix it up. We're going to call our plays. We're going to move the backs in and out. We're going to put pressure on the defense and we're going to wear you down, listeners. By the fourth quarter of this podcast, you will be exhausted. And we will be running you over with facts. So we're going to have Scott Pasco kind of be Nick Chubb because he's, you know, he's got that little bit of wiggle. He's got that burst around the edge. Great vision for a cutback lane. And then Ellis Williams, just I think the best Kareem Hunt play from the other day, Ellis Williams just slams into the pile and then leans backward into the pile and gets like an extra three yards. Just when you think he's down, he keeps fighting. And I'm Andy Janovich. I'm the fullback who has COVID. So I'm just going to throw a block, maybe make a special teams tackle and get out of the way. But let's start with Scott Patsko diving in on Scott. The idea of what Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb have a chance to do this season, numbers-wise, is pretty rare air, is it not? It is. There have been only uh, – no, I lost it. I didn't know you were going to come to me with that right now. Okay, here we go. They're going to be the eighth NFL duo – I just didn't have any right in front of me. The eighth NFL duo to each get a thousand yards rushing in the same season, but only they would be only the sixth running back duo to do it. Uh, Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson accomplished this last season. Michael Vick and Work Dunn did it with the Falcons. But as far as running back duos, uh, the last to do it prior to, well, the last to do it at all was be the Panthers back in 2000 and. Eight, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. So it's been a while. And of course, Mack and Biner did it with the Browns in 85. Bernie was a rookie and they really wanted to lean on the running game. But the Browns have a chance to do it. And the weird thing is uh, Mary Kay Cabot and I did a podcast back in June where we asked this question, can Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb each get a thousand yards? Because a lot of fans were thinking about that, knowing that, you know, Kareem Hunt would be here all season and Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. And our answer was it's possible, but probably not likely. And we rationalized that as Chubb will get a thousand yards, but Kareem Hunt, his opportunities might not be there because maybe he'll have a larger role in the passing game or, you know, you got all these other weapons on offense. There was just a lot of ways to talk yourself out of Kareem Hunt getting a thousand yards. So fast forward this week, and I'm here to tell you that I think it can happen. It's really looking like there's a definite path that each guy can get a thousand yards. So this is where they're at. Kareem Hunt leads the Browns with 633 rushing yards and Nick Chubb has 461. And if that was flipped, we probably wouldn't be talking about this, but the fact that Kareem, that 
Nick Chubb has more ground to make up, I think makes this more of a realistic option than the other way around. And the fact that they both did so well against the Texans, first running back duo for the Browns since 66 to each get over 100 yards. So they kind of everything kind of fell into place after this Texans game. So Kareem Hunt needs 367 yards over the final seven games to reach 1,000. Or can we call it the double grand? Can we coin that term? If you're making T-shirts, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll call it the double grand. Uh, so he needs 367 yards. That's 52.4 yards per game. Now, he's gotten that in all but one game that he's played with Chubb, and that was against Washington when he had 46. So that's, that's a realistic yardage total for, for Kareem Hunt. Nick Chubb needs 539 yards over the final seven games or an average of 77 per game. And in the games that he's played with Kareem Hunt, he's reached that three out of the like three out of the five times. One of those was when he had 60 yards against the Ravens in week one. And we know that the circumstances around that was the Browns fell behind early and the run game wasn't a priority. The other game was when he had 43 against the Cowboys. He only played 14 snaps. So 77 yards, 52 yards. That's really in the wheelhouse for both those guys going forward. If you want to look at it as uh, the likelihood based on yards per attempt, it breaks down like this. Hunt is averaging 4.7 yards per carry. He would need 11 carries, about 11.1 carries per game to get to 1,000. And he's had at least 10 in every game that he's played with Chubb. So, again, very doable. Nick Chubb, on the other hand, he is averaging 6.1 yards per carry, which is high. It's not likely to stay that high over the course of the rest of the season. But just going off 6.1 yards per attempt, he would need 12 and a half carries per game to get to 1,000. Obviously, that 12, 12 carries a game is very doable. If you shrink it down to 5.1 yards per attempt, which is what his career average was before this season, he'd only need a little over 15 yards, 15.1, or I'm sorry, 51.1 carries per game. So 11 carries for Hunt, 15 for Chubb over the rest of the season. Chubb's had at least 19 carries Every game he's played, except for week one when he had 10, uh, we're throwing out the Cowboys game because he only played you know, a few snaps. So if you break it down on averages, what they've done and what they need to get done, it just seems it's very doable that both these guys get to 1,000 if things keep on the course that they seem to correct themselves with against the Texans. And it, it kind of what you're saying, Scott, there's some things – if the season goes how the Browns want it to go, they probably will both get there. Cause if they, they don't want to get in a bunch of games where they're chucking it around in the second half, cause they're down three scores. They want to be ahead in the second half and leaning on these two guys. And one of the things, I mean, obviously the game against the Texans, they were so effective. Chubb was having kind of more like an average day statistically until the giant run at the end. But you can't, that's not fair to do that to running backs, but it's really not fair to do that to Nick Chubb because that is part of Nick Chubb's game, statistically at least, right? Is that he rips off one of those big yard, one of those big runs almost every game, it feels like, where something happens where he hits a cutback lane or he gets to the edge and gets a hole. And so, yeah, it was kind of weird. And at the end of the game, and he tightrope down the sideline, but like he also does that. So I think that's a very good foundation of where they're headed. Ellis, you kind of, we're, we're dancing in this territory, and a lot of people were. Scott, you were saying you guys talked about it in June. Ellis, does this feel like, you know, whether they exactly get to a 1,000 each or not, what you saw against the Texans, what they've done so far this year, is this, Ellis, what you expected? Yeah, before I get to that, I, I want to point out to listeners that we planned that early uh, slight stumble by Scott there because, look, if he's Nick Chubb of this podcast – 
he he missed a little time on gotta watch the tape you know scott was out with, with a, a little bit and you know you, we're gonna we got to start a little slow but scott when you bring it home at the end there with your best point saving your best point for last you have my permission to score the touchdown all right so when we're wrapping okay. this podcast up <laughs> take it all the way home okay <laughs> no but all right so for that point with with where this is where this is trending and how we forecasted them getting here. This is the Browns offense at their best. This is the type of offense that perhaps can make Browns fans forget about Odell Beckham Jr. tearing his ACL. And it's what I saw this, how this offense would maximize itself uh, in the preseason. I wrote about how the Browns should target leading the league in rushing attempts. I thought that was their best formula for success. Um, Considering a few things, uh, first year head coaches have had, dating back, you know, past five seasons have had winning records. Uh, I believe it was like 65% of the time um, when they target a top 10 rushing attempt season. And then it's also to just playing to this team's strength and where we're at now uh, through nine games, the Browns are currently seventh in uh, rushing attempts with 279. Uh, There's a, there like, there's always a cluster in there. You know, you don't usually see a team, uh, pull away by, you know, 40, 50 carries and these type of things. That turns out to be an average of 31 attempts per game. Um, I, and when I look back on the season so far, it there was a clear trend in rushing attempts per game and, and success. Uh, in week two, the Browns rushed 35 times against the Bengals. In week three, against Washington, 37 times, 40 attempts versus Dallas, 33 versus the Colts that first game without Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt carried it 20 times that game. And against the Texans, they just did it 41 times. And that is where this team's headed. That is why I would be, as Scott started this podcast off by saying, I'd be, I think I can go as far as shocked, assuming health, if these two don't get to the the, the double grand, the double rack, the double stack, whatever we're going to call it. Um, it, it. It is both the formula to success and just the intersection of two extremely talented running backs first Nick Chubb and those explosive runs, because Doug, I also did write about how that is Nick Chubb's game. You know, Kareem Hunt is a bruising runner and gets to 10 yards uh, more often than most backs in in this league, but he doesn't have that second burst, that second level. That's Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb missed, you know, four games there and still led the NFL in rushes of 20 yards or more. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive. Impressive. I know there's been no Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley, but that's what he does. And then Kareem Hunt cleans up everything else when the, t- the defense is tired. So this has really been um, a culmination of two backs that complement each other really well in the bronze plane to their strength. And as I said, I'd be pretty surprised if they don't get to this thousand yard mark apiece. Scott ran over all those stats just among running backs in the league. Nick Chubb is first in yards per carry at 6.1 and Kareem Hunt is 13th at 4.7. Ellis, you mentioned Odell Beckham Jr.'s absence. Scott, do you think that factors in? Does that even increase the likelihood here at all? Or it's one of those things. We're still we're still trying to figure out exactly what that might be, right? So, okay, they don't have OBJ. They have to run it more. It increases the chances or they don't have the deep threat. They don't have OBJ teams. Don't have to defend against that. They stack the box more and it makes it more difficult to run. What is the OBJ factor in any of this in terms of how much they run, how effectively they run in the final seven games? 
Well, just based off the Texans game, I think it's hard to judge that just because of the weather. I mean, Kevin Stefanski and I think Baker even mentioned how the, the wind was even worse this week than it was against the Raiders. So knowing how they're going to pass, how they're going to divvy up the, the attempts in a, in a game when the weather isn't a factor, we might not even know that after the Eagles game because the weather is supposed to be pretty bad uh, this weekend too. So I got to think that the fact that you have Chubb and let's not forget Wyatt Teller, if you, you said at the top of that, everybody's falling in love with Chubb, Chubb and Hunt. I think after that game, they should probably fall in love with Wyatt Teller and Jack Conklin, but that's, that's another podcast. Uh, but the fact that those two guys came back and they rushed 41 times and they kept doing it, even when things weren't going great in the first half tells me that maybe OBJ isn't going to be the, his loss isn't going to have the impact that maybe people had feared when it first happened. And again, just how good these guys are. We know Dalvin cook in Minnesota is ripping up the league right now. He has 954 rushing yards. He's averaging 5.5 yards per carry. So again, that's a half yard carry less than Chubb. We know Chubb hasn't played as many games, but these guys are a combination of dynamic and reliable. And I do think Ellis, the point that you have made in all of this, and and I don't know if this matters in this or not, because there is a point that I really want to ask about at the end of this, but Ellis, the idea that, Chubb and Hunt are a little different, right? That they do, they sort of have one, you know, things they do a little bit better than the other. Does that matter? Or if you just cloned Nick Chubb and you had two Nick Chubbs, but then you could keep each one fresher or you clone two Kareem Hunts, would that be just as effective? Or does it actually make them better that when they are sharing the load, they're a little bit different? Doug, it makes a huge difference. Let's stay in Minnesota. Uh, there they have Dalvin Cook, and the, the backup running back is Alexander Madison. Um, Madison's a, a heck of a runner, a heck of a young talent. But the thing that changes with Minnesota's offense when Dalvin Cook isn't in the game or has missed games with injuries is he's just a lesser version of Dalvin Cook. He doesn't bring anything different, um, any any long run of, of capability. He's not as quick as Dalvin and that is where the compliments differ. You can think of um, where they have success with this, where it's not really shown because Dallas is having a terrible season. But right now in Dallas, Ezekiel Elliott and uh, Tony Pollard are actually complimenting each other pretty well right now. Those are two different type of backs. Zeke's not his uh, burst uh, big play type runner anymore. He's almost carrying the ball more like Kareem Hunt and Kareem Hunt's having a much better season than Zeke. But I'm just saying in terms of style, and then Tony Pollard is the guy – who is actually bursting these big plays despite a completely different frame of Nick Chubb being a more bruising back and Pollard being more of a scat back. My point is this, they need each other so much in this offense because through, I got a stat here, weeks one through nine, the Browns first in yards per game, first in yards per rush and first in rushing touchdowns. When Nick Chubb was gone and it was just cream hunt show 24th in yards per game, 26 yards per attempt and 32nd rushing touchdowns you know baker mayfield was doing a lot of the work down in the red zone and i think it is really important to point out as scott said that that might have a lot to do with wyatt teller as well but the fact that these two running backs are um, a, a counter punch to one another um when kareem hunt can just drag guys forward when they're fatigued and nick chubb you never know when the home run's coming exactly like you said doug you can't just you know, the Texans can't go home and say, well, we did a good job containing Nick Chubb other than that 59-yard rush at the end of the game. It's not how it works. 
It's not how it works. And Kareem Hunt's not breaking those six-yard runs. That's Nick Chubb. And that's why the complimentary football here is putting the Browns offense in a pretty one-of-one and unique uh, offensive scenario that really I don't think the NFL has seen. And uh, I mean, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart did it, but those are those two backs don't even come close to the type of physical talents that the Browns have right now. This is special. I do feel like that's something that maybe we would have said in the past, like about the Browns defense when they lost the game. It was like, you know what? They played pretty well other than that back-breaking play that lost the game. Other than that, really good. But, but like, again, that's, that's the whole point. To get back a little – to get back sort of to the statistical path of this because it's fun to talk about them being great complimentary backs, but it's also talk, fun to talk about the double grand. What are the, are the defenses that they're going to play, Scott, the defenses that the Browns have lined up for these last seven games? Are they going to make it harder on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to get to 1,000 each, or are they going to make it easier on them? Well, first, they've played some pretty bad run defenses <clears throat> uh, so far. They've, the Cowboys and the Texans are two of the worst in the league, and they've benefited from that. The Bengals are not very good at all against the run. So looking ahead, it gets a little tougher, but there are – there are some, there are opportunities to, to really rack up yards. They get the Eagles next. The Eagles are 26th in yards per game. They're giving up 133 per game. The Jaguars are 25th, 131.7. Uh, but then you get to teams like the Jets and the Titans who are kind of middle of the pack. Um, if you want to go by DVOA, which uh, again, kind of average uh, measures you against the, the average of the league, the Jets and the Giants are like 11th and 12th against mm-hmm. the run. So they're not, they're not teams that are having good seasons, but they've been okay against the run. Uh, then you have the Steelers and the Ravens, who obviously pose tougher challenges, although the Browns did average 5.1 yards per carry against the Ravens in week one, so they do have that to look forward to. You know, if they're not falling behind and self-destructing in the first quarter, there's, there's an opportunity to, to, you know, just to stick with the run game more than they did in week one. But again, we're, we're not talking about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt needing to rack up 100-yard games against these teams to hit the mark. Again, it's just 77 and 52 yards per game apiece. And, you know, you've had big games against the Eagles and Jaguars, and those averages drop even more. Uh, so, again, the opportunity is there. I think you also have to look at even though the Jets and the, uh, and the Giants and the Titans uh, might be a little better against the run than, than the, some of the teams that the Browns have faced, those are games that the Browns could or should be favored. Definitely the Giants and the Jets. And so if you have a lead, again, you know, the second half, that means more carries for Chubb and Hunt, and then you're staying on pace for 1,000 for yards. So it's not as easy as the first half, I don't think, but the opportunities are definitely there. So I do wonder about this, and, and Scott, I don't, maybe you have this in front of you, you can look it up while we're talking about it how the Browns did run it against the Steelers and the Ravens the first time around. And now they have these two games again left on the schedule. I, at every moment on every podcast on got to watch the tape and on the orange and Brown talk this whole season, every time somebody says, yeah, well, can you do it against the Ravens and the Steelers? I very much push back against that because you don't get extra wins against the Steelers and the Ravens. You know, those are two playoff teams. I get it. Eventually, long-term, yes, I get it, but beating the Jags and the Giants and the Jets count just as much, and it's not the end-all, be-all to me of, oh, well, if they go 0-4 against the Steelers and the Ravens, is this season not a success? But if they go 10-2 and in their other 12 games, it's like, I don't care what they did against the Ravens or the Steelers. Just get to the playoffs. Yeah. This might be my one but in that scenario, 
because I want to double check, Scott, how they did run it against the Steelers and the Ravens the first time around. And that, because this is who you are, because this is your identity, I would be curious for them to say, this is what we do. Here comes Wyatt Teller pulling and leading the way. Here comes two pro Bowl running backs right behind him. Let's show it against these teams at the top of our division. So how did, I can't remember, how did it go first time around with the run game against Pittsburgh and Baltimore? With the Ravens, the Browns rushed for 138 yards, again, 5.1 yards per carry. And that was a game where they fell behind 17 to six. You know, they had to pick six early and then uh, 17 to six, they trailed 24 to six at halftime. So uh, the running, you know, the game plan kind of went out the window at that point, but Kareem Hunt had 13 carries for 72 yards five and a half yards per carry. He had a long of 22. Uh, Nick Chubb, 10 carries for 60 yards. He had a 29-yard run in that game. So five and a half per carry, six yards per carry for Hunt and Chubb against the Ravens. They don't win. They, they win that game. Those, those averages look great. And that's probably what we're talking about. Against the Steelers, again, Nick Chubb didn't play. Kareem Hunt had 13 carries for 40 yards, 3.1 yards per carry. He had a long of 10 yards running behind an offensive line that did not have Wyatt Teller either. So I'm not sure how you want to categorize that, but obviously when they were both on the field and they had their full offensive line, they ran pretty well against the Ravens. So to me, so we, uh, you know, this whole, I wish the Steelers game wasn't week 17. They play the Steelers in week 17 so often and it kind of messes up. It's so often it isn't a real game. So we don't know what that's going to be, but they're going to get the Ravens done Monday night. I think Ellis, you have been more on the side of, you would like to see the Browns at some point show something against the top two teams in their division, because you, if you're not the, until you're the best team in the division, how can you be the best team in the conference? How can you be the best team in the league? There's certainly, I mean, lots of people make that argument. Ellis, I'm trying to envision. So it's interesting to think about hunt and Chubb in the second half against some of these terrible defenses. I'm also trying to imagine, Hey, it's Lamar, you know, it's the MVP. We maybe Lamar's not having a great year this year, but it's Monday night. Can you imagine a world where the Browns do their thing and take it to the Ravens in the run game and really in prime time show their best selves when we get to that point? Would that be a big deal to you of in the second half of the year? Let's see if they can dominate the run game against Baltimore. Yeah, I I can see it happening, but a a handful of very specific things need to happen. Um, If I'm Kevin Stefanski right now, I'm realizing that, that this is my team. This is the formula. It is Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and a full-strength Wyatt Teller and running behind. And I, I can get to this later, but we need to start calling the best offensive line in football. And I don't think it's all that close. Again, I could un- unpack that statement later. This is it. The, the Browns and Kevin Stefanski are like a Texas Hold'em player who's all in with, with a decent hand, you know, a, a decent hand. Their chips are in the middle. But they, you know, they haven't seen the river yet. They, they don't know what other cards are coming, but this is it. And the opponent knows that they're all in, but they, you know, they still have some options. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. is not coming back. Baker Mayfield. And when I talk about needing to play well against the Steelers and the Ravens, uh, it, it's more of a Baker thing than it is necessarily this team having complete success. You know, you just can't come up. You can't be the future quarterback of this team and lay an egg against two teams in your division. That's, that's a podcast I'm sure we'll have again later. The specific things that Kevin Stefanski needs to accomplish. They need to now build towards that Monday night football game as if it's a playoff game. They need to peak on that Monday night in week 14. And to do so, 
here are some key points I think Stefanski is going to drill into his guys going forward, you know, so they can start playing their best football come that time. This team can't fall behind. There's just no option for that anymore. Uh, sure, you can fall behind by a touchdown, maybe 10 points. But if you're looking at 14, 17-point deficit, th- that's just not an option anymore. And I don't care if you have to talk to your defense or, or, have a, or take the ball every time on, a, on a, a coin flip, if you have that option. This team can't fall behind. Um, secondly, they must be successful on first down. This team cannot have as many second and nines as it had versus the Texans. Better teams are going to take advantage of that because then you're looking at you know, third and seven and then potential punts. And that's just not an option. First down has to now turn into your money down rather than worrying about getting the third and short. This team's got to be the most and best conditioned team on the field because you have to maintain that downhill running style and put teams to bed at the end of games. I don't think that will be an issue. I just think it's important to note this team has to be ready for the fourth quarter when other teams are dragging much like we saw this week. And then last when you, do, when you are in those third and short situations, you got to convert them all because not only are they just important moments in the game, you can't be a team that says, okay, well, we can try it on fourth down. You need to become a team that your reputation precedes you. I talk about that a lot. This team needs to believe and have their opponents understand that anything under third and, third and two and less, you know, two yards or less, we're getting it every time. We are getting it every single time. That's how you beat top teams you become you're true to your identity and you own that hone that in. Well, the one thing about the run game that's special is that it's okay if teams know it's coming, but if they can't stop it, they can't stop it. And that's where this team needs to build towards. So I think those specific things, if Kevin Stefanski can drill those into his team and accomplish that and get them peaking by that Monday night football date, I think it's going to be a heck of a game on Monday night. I do think there's something in modern football. This comes up a lot with Ohio state kind of on the other side where people talk about balance in an offense. And a lot of times you talk about when the default, when you talk about balance is between the run and the pass, a certain, you know, the balancing, the number of plays that are run and pass balancing the number of yards you gain with the run in the past. But I do think, and, and usually people talk about it with, with, with the passing side of the ball, Ohio state, for instance, is throwing it so well right now. They don't have to have balance run and pass. They just have to have balance within the passing game. You have to have different kinds of things you can do within the passing game. So I would imagine there must be something here with the Browns where, listen, we get it. You can't run 90% of the time, but there is a way where you can really lean on the run, but have balance within the run game, right? That you're doing different kinds of things. And I think Ellis, you've talked about this. They do run wide zone, but they run some other stuff too. And that you can keep a defense off balance a little bit, even without asking Baker to throw it 30 times a game because Stefanski can structure a run game that is balanced within itself. Yeah, Doug, that's exactly where this is heading, where it's trending. Um, I have it written down in my notes here. Uh, the marriage is over. And, and perhaps it's, it, I, it was Kevin, when Kevin's fancy says that it wasn't as much of, I want to be a 50, 50 run pass team, even though I think every coach wants that the Browns ran the ball 64% of the time on Sunday and sure weather had a lot to do with that. But more importantly, it was the success that they're having running both, to the right, which they've already had, as, as we've documented in this podcast plenty of times. But they also had success running left, finally. Uh, Jedrick Wills graded out at a 76 overall on PFF. Um, they ran left 21 times for a yard per carry average of 10 yards. I understand the Nick Chubb left edge run really gasses that average up. Uh, they ran right 17 times for an average of 4.85 yards. 
So if you take that Nick Chubb run out, which we said we're not doing, but if you, you know, <laughs> let's say it was a 15, 20 yard gain, that average quick math, which I can't do, probably brings you to what, five or six yards per carry. Point being, if this team can be a diverse running team, because that's what happened against the Steelers. Two very key things happened against the Steelers and happened early. They ran right and they were getting blanketed. They were getting absolutely stuffed and they weren't converting their third and shorts or their fourth down tries. If you can diversify that running attack, keep the edges guessing, keep Bud Dupree honest in his gap integrity, that that game goes differently. And the same is going to apply to the Ravens. So Doug, you're exactly right. A complete run game is just as effective as a healthy 50-50 balance of pass and run. All right, we're going to keep talking about this Kevin Stefanski run game, where it's headed with these two great backs next on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, Doug, back with Ellis and Scott. Scott, as we're, again, thinking about this, 2,000-yard backs, the fact that it's Kevin Stefanski calling the plays here and the way this team is built, how do you characterize maybe Stefanski's commitment to the run in this league and against just statistically and what we're headed toward, that's a part of this too, right? That again, by this point, we know what they want to do and they're figuring out how to do it. Yeah. I mean, he understands what his offense is built to do. Last season with the Vikings, they were, if I remember correctly, one of three teams that ran the ball more than they passed it. I think the Titans were right on the cusp, but the Ravens and 49ers were there with the Vikings. And it's really kind of continued that way with the Browns. They are seventh, they have the seventh most, most rushing attempts in the league this season. And they're one of three teams with more rushing attempts than passing attempts. And even if you take Baker Mayfield's uh, 11 scrambles and make them call them intended dropbacks, the running game still comes out ahead by, by one attempt. So it's, they're on the right track with that. And I think the Texans game was a good example of uh, his commitment to the run game because, you know, Chubb 2.6 yards per carry in the first half. And they were only averaging three, three and a half yards per carry as a team, but Stefanski kept chipping away at the Texans in the second half. And then you get all those big carries in the fourth quarter that ended up sealing the game. Another uh, example is the Colts game. I think the, the first half, they really struggled 2.7 yards per carry in the first half. And Baker Mayfield kind of put the offense on his shoulders. The second half, Baker couldn't do anything right. And the, the running game really ended up rescuing things for the Browns. Kareem Hunt had 56 yards on 12 carries in the second half. Ernest Johnson, remember him? He had six carries for 31 yards in the, in the second half of that game. So they got big contributions from the run game there. I think if you look at overall attempts, and I, Ellis, I hope I'm not stepping on your, on your stats here, but the Browns are, are averaging 31 rushing attempts per game through nine games. Um, things actually went, got back on track against the Texans because it, it really, uh, they'd really fallen below that for a few games. But they're on pace for 496, which would have been third behind the Ravens of 49ers last season. So again, they're really on pace to have more rushing attempts than passing attempts. After, after the Colts game, they were averaging 34.4 rushing attempts per game. So that was five games. After the next three games, they only ran the ball 22 times against the Bengals, Steelers, and Raiders. And that average dropped below 30 to 29.7. Then you add on the Texans game, that kind of boosts it back up. As far as yards per carry, the Browns are averaging 5.1 which is third behind the Cardinals of all teams, 5.3, and the Vikings at 5.2. The Eagles, who they see next, are, are tied with the Browns. Ravens are right at five. Uh, they are not the same team as they were last year, obviously. So with Chubb and Wyatt Teller returning, the opportunities and the need to run the ball are, have presented themselves, and everything just kind of course-corrected with that Texans game. Because I think 
if the Texans game doesn't happen the way it happened, we might not be talking about any of this. So the, the thing you mentioned with the Cardinals leading the league in yards per carry, when I said Nick Chubb is first among running backs in yards per carry, he's second in the league because Kyler Murray's first in yards right. per carry. And in my young quarterback rankings last week, I talked about scrambling and quarterbacks and who, who get these bonus kind of magic yards that you don't expect. And about half the starting quarterbacks in the league are what I call young quarterbacks. They've come into the league since 2016. It's 15 or 16 starters per week. Among that group, Baker is next to last in rushing yards per game for a quarterback. He's only ahead of Jared Goff. And everybody else in the league, the only quarterbacks that Baker is ahead of otherwise are the old guys. He, he he's more, runs more than Tom Brady. He runs more than Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees. He runs more than Kirk Cousins, right? So for a young guy... It's not a part of his game. But I think that, again, as you fit a roster together and you see things work together, frankly, is everyone ready for my why the Browns are lucky they don't have Kyler Murray argument? See how I spin a, you take a thing of like, oh, they wouldn't even want Kyler Murray. They, they, Kyler Murray could show up and they'd send him home. I don't really mean that. But you have the team that you have. If they had Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen – or a, guy, or a quarterback who really wanted to run, that you were getting, that he was going to scramble a little bit, call some dropbacks where he scrambles, you work him into your run game, it would be much harder to feed two backs like this. Because Kyler, you have to run Kyler. My gosh, if you don't have that as part of your game plan, you're crazy. That guy's unbelievable. The fact the Browns don't waste any rushing attempts with Baker, because why would you? They don't have the quarterback run as part of the game. Listen, we see enough that Cam Newton's running read option a couple times a game, right? Because it works for them. And it just, it almost is having a quarterback like Baker makes Chunt, Chunt and Hub. I knew I was going to, I could not make it through without calling them Chunt. Chunt and Hub at some point. I knew I was going to do it. Hunt and Chubb, Baker's lack of mobility and lack of running ability makes them even more valuable. And it sort of streamlines the play calling a little bit. It just brought it up to my mind, Scott, when you were talking about, hey, well, they're behind the Cardinals of this. Yeah, but the Cardinals do it that way. The Browns do it this way. And I'm not saying that it's good that Baker Mayfield really can't run at all. I'm saying it's a fact. And the Browns make up for that by having these two guys that they can feed all game. So, as we go back to sort of this, like there's this, the Kevin Stefanski roster building part of this. And at the end of this, I do, we've talked about it before. I want to get into the future a little bit with these two guys, but man, for both of you guys, the pieces just fit a little bit with this offense with if Baker is going to be a quarterback that you hope can be efficient, but you don't need him to throw it 35 times a game. He doesn't run it that much. You can lean on these two tailbacks. You have you know, Ellis is saying it's the best offensive line in football. A lot of this just makes sense to me, which again is a very refreshing thing to see from the Browns. Yeah. Kevin Stefanski's fingerprints are all over this offense. He's in complete control of it. And that's because what fans need to understand what, what Doug's talking about when it comes to rushing quarterbacks is when play callers call those read options, they don't necessarily, they really don't know who's going to keep the ball. Sometimes you have a, a, an idea or you can call the play in and say, nope, you're keeping this no matter what. You know, in a big moment, Cam, you're rushing this. Or Lamar, you're the guy here. But when you're just calling the play, 
that comes down to your quarterback. That's putting trust in your quarterback to make the right read and decide who gets the ball appropriately. With the way this roster is built, Kevin Stefanski has complete 100% control over whether it's a Kareem Hunt run right or a Nick Chubb cut back left or what he wants to do in this offense because Baker Mayfield is out of the equation. And that only maximizes how these two run because I don't care what really any uh, football or analytic person has to say about backs, uh, the, the mantra that running backs need some carries to get going. The Browns just showed that this, this week with Nick Chubb. Running backs do need carries to get going. And if you were taking some of those away or potential tries away by, you know, taking the ball out of the belly of Kareem Hunt, and he's now only getting eight, nine, 10 carries and, you know, Nick Chubb stays around 18. This is a different offense. So you're able to maximize both these guys and get them running downhill, get them wearing down defenses because you know they're getting the ball every single time you call that because you don't have checks or read options out of it. Yeah, plus, uh, with like we mentioned Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram both getting 1,000 earlier in the podcast, and Lamar Jackson had 176 carries. So as a quarterback, you're going to have you're going to have a larger you know yard per attempt than, than most people. Like you mentioned, Kyler Murray's done so well. So he only had 176 attempts, had 1,200 yards. Mark Ingram had 202 attempts for 1,018 yards, and Gus Edwards got uh, he actually gained 711 yards on 133 carries. It's going to be tough for Nick Chubb to get to 200 carries this year, unless he has a couple like games where he's he's really breaking through 20 carries. If he averages, you know, that 15 to 15 to 18 or whatever, he's going to be kind of right on the cusp. But um, Kareem Hunt should get there. He's already at, at 134, and you know, if you added a quarterback into that, then you, you know those guys, their opportunities, obviously, like you said, are going to are going to diminish. I think for both of those guys, for quarterbacks, for, for rather for running backs. And for two running backs to get to a thousand yards like that, they got to be closing in on 200 carries. And it's really tough to do that when the quarterback's taking a lot. Yeah. So, let, let me, let me add something real quick there. Um, if I haven't made this clear, I just want to get it on the record. Uh, in the preseason, I wrote how this team should have a 50, 50 carry and pass split um, in 2019. Kevin Stefanski at the Vikings averaged 60 plays per game and they had a perfect 30, 30 distribution this Browns team is averaging 60.8 plays per game. So it's an exact mold of what Savancy was doing last year. Some of that might be by chance. I think a lot of it is just how he calls a game and his feel for it. And I suggested that you give Nick Chubb in the preseason. I said, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both deserve an even 15, 15 carry split. Uh, I think this is trending more towards 60, 40. Now uh, my math is probably off here, but g- give Nick Chubb that 20 carry per game. Like Scott's saying, that'll get him to that 200 mark. Then you have Kareem Hunt in a safe 15 carry, and he still is getting three, four receptions a game. Your two best players are touching the ball 20 times a game. That's exactly what happened against Houston. And we can keep blaming the weather, but again, this team is best when those two are going to touch the ball 20 times a game. So should they just pretend it's windy even when it's not? Like if they're playing in a dome, should they be like, oh, I think I caught a breeze in the, in the concourse. Again, what happened on Sunday Chubb, 19 carries, Hunt, 19 carries, Baker, 23 dropbacks. He had three scrambles and he was 12 of 20 throwing it. So that's almost like a third, a third, a third, that your offense is like a third Hunt, a third Chubb, and a third Baker, which means it's two thirds running. How much of that, how much of that is the weather? Or Scott, I mean, honestly, Ken, is that an actual plan on a beautiful sunny day in Jacksonville in two weeks. Could that be the plan? 
Well, yeah, I mean, this is the Browns. And I think what this bad weather allowed them to do was lean into their strength. So whether or not it was windy, whether or not it's you know going to be bad against the Eagles, they're going to run the ball. And before the game, I think we all expected the Browns to get have a 200-yard rushing game against the Texans, you know? It was just, that's what you expected because the Texans were so bad against the run. You're getting Nick Chubb and Wyatt Teller back. Of course, you know, Hunt and Chubb could end up having 100 yards. It just, it took this weird route to get there. But I think you should expect that to happen in a game like that. And whether it's here in the rain and sleet and whatever is going on, or it's in Jacksonville where there's nice weather, I think the strength is still the strength and you should expect the Browns to lean into that. Yeah, and not only can it be possible, I think it has to be this team's reality. Um, I listed earlier some things that Kevin Stefanski needs to drill into this team, how important first downs are. And this, again, is going to come down to how disciplined can a young coach and Kevin Stefanski be? Because I'll say this, as much as this team is talented at running the football, at the end of the day, when you're a play designer, when you're a schemer, sometimes you like flexing your muscles and, and getting cute and showing off what you drew up in, in, in the weeks of leading up to the game. And we kind of saw that in the Texans game. And I wrote about it this morning. Kevin Stefanski showed some new stuff. You know, he had Kareem Hunt take a handoff out of the slot. He faked a bubble screen to Kadero Hodge. And early in that Texans game, you know, you, you're, you're on Brown's Twitter and, you're, and Brown's fans are like, oh, let's not, never throw again. Like, what? why are we throwing so much? Kevin Spence is going to have to be real disciplined and real careful here early in games not to try and get too cute no matter where they're playing. When they are playing in Jacksonville, they do have the green light to throw because this team, as I listed earlier, has a very specific formula to winning, and it doesn't really include having Baker Mayfield in empty sets anymore. We talked about the Steelers and Ravens games a little earlier. I did want to make this point. They did hand the ball to Nick Chubb on the first play of the game against the Texans. Given how things went on the Minka Fitzpatrick pick, do you think they'll run it on the first play? The rest of the year, can we take the Baker Mayfield pick six to open the game off the table? Because, because again, again, else what you're talking about, they open the game against the Texans, Chubb for two yards, Chubb for nine yards and a first down. And then you could have Baker throw a little pass to Jarvis Landry on play three. Let's just not start with Baker throwing. Can we agree to that? Easier said than done, but we'll see. We'll see because there's, you know, what's the only thing better than saying we're going to run it every time is, oh, they think we're going to run play action that's it's just how these play these play callers think you just you think you have the advantage when really you probably should just keep it simple I was really expecting play action roll left or right and looking for Austin Hooper because we've seen that exact play like at least three times to start a game and with Austin Hooper back I'm like this is going to happen it's going to be play action Baker's rolling left and he's got Hooper in front of him he's got Landry further down the field and really easy pass everybody's right in front of him but you know I think they just wanted to get Chubb up and running so there's, there's a couple more things that I want to emphasize on that. Scott, do you think as we, and, and again, maybe we're doing Kevin Stefanski's work for him. We're putting this out into the world. And you know, the Eagles coaching staff and the Jaguars coaching staff and Joe judge in New York and Adam Gase, Adam Gase, Adam Gase is looking for football knowledge, wherever he can get it. We know he listens every week. The more they do this, right? The more they do it. Hey, you're, you're a two thirds running team now. Hey, you have 2000 yard backs. Hey, look, does that make Baker Mayfield better? Will that open up this play action more? We're all, and I have, an, I have a specific Austin Hooper point I want to make, but we're all waiting for more Austin Hooper. We're all waiting for more, like, how is this all going to work? Is Jarvis the number one guy? The more they run, it'll, will it make it better, easier to pass? But then if they pass more, then they won't be running as much, which will make it as easy to pass. I get it. But 
will this make the passing game better if they really commit to the run? And then when they do throw it, especially off play action, is stuff going to be wide open? Well, two things. You don't need to run the ball or run the ball well for play action to work. It just works. But number two, less passes from Baker Mayfield also decreases his chance of messing up. So, yeah, not putting as much on his plate can make Baker Mayfield in the passing game better because, you know, it's, it's more about quantity or quality over quantity at that point. Um, but if you're facing a lot of teams that are putting eight or nine people in the box, well, then, yeah, I mean, play action is going to help you because you, you got fewer people to move around uh, in the back of the defense with your play action. So that, and that in itself can, can certainly help, but the Browns and really no team really needs to have a great running attack in order for play action to work. It's just linebackers are going to move. A safety is going to move. You just have to execute when they do it. I think for the rest of the season, the most, the two most important stats for Baker Mayfield outside of turnovers, of course, is interceptions need to stay down. Obviously didn't turn the ball over against the Texans uh, or the Raiders. That trend needs to continue. Assuming it does, the two most important stats I'm looking for in the, the second half of this season is going to be completion percentage and yards per attempt. The Browns are going to face a lot of eight, nine-man boxes and a lot of man-to-man defense, I believe, and just the, the mantra to stopping this running attack. That means Baker, and if we're like we said, we're trending towards a 60-40 run-pass distribution, Baker's going to have to be madly efficient with his attempts because the opportunities are going to be there. And that means he needs to drive the ball downfield. These can't be check downs. They can't be screen passes. He needs to drive the ball downfield on these play action attempts, even in his drop back game. You know, you can, you don't need play action versus a heavy box. You can have a heavy box and just go to straight quick game drop back, have a Rashard Higgins slant, a Jarvis out. They, they have these plays in their offense and Baker's proven he can make those throws. Completion percentage needs to be all time high. These, these last few games and yards per attempt. He needs to drive the ball downfield. That will be how this offense maximizes its passing game while still being a, a, a very heavy running team. So there's, there's two specific things I want to I want to ask about here at the end. One is, and I, I'm probably setting this, attempting to setting this statistically because I just have an anecdotal thing that I wrote about after the game. I just thought there was a, the only completion they had to Austin Hooper was on a second and seven when they were deep in their own territory after the fake field goal punt, they started up their four yard line. They handed the ball to Kareem Hunt for a three-yard gain on first down, and then they ran play-action bootleg, and Baker just very smoothly hit Austin Hooper for an 11-yard gain on second and seven. I feel like second down passing for Baker is going to be huge because they, they, are, they do want to hand it off on first down. And sometimes they'll get seven yards on first down, but sometimes they're going to get three. And what you don't want in this offense is to be put in third and long situations where it's an obvious passing down. So I think Baker is more effective when you don't know if they're going to run or pass on a certain play. So if you only get three yards on first down, if you hand it off that on second down and then you only get two, now it's third and five. Now it feels like a passing down. That second down after an only okay run is an either or down. And if Baker can make money on that down and move the chains at Ellis, this is exactly what you were talking about. It's not about third down conversions. It's about avoiding third down. I thought that second and seven throw to Hooper, it got them out of the shadow of their own end zone. It got them kind of took away the quick punt. It was so basic, but that's the game to me because you even as good as Chubb and Hunt are, sometimes on first down when you hand it to him, they're going to get two. And now it's second and eight or it's second and seven. And then what do you do? Baker has to make some 
10 and 12 yard throws on that down. They have to hit an effective screen pass or something to keep them out of third and long. So I don't even know if they sort stats by that Baker second down passing is I will be, I would be very curious to investigate because that's how you move the chains. That's how you keep him out of forcing things on third down. That's how you keep out of quick three and outs. When you do something on second down, Ellis, you have the pen on your on your mouth like a mustache. That's the thing. Yeah. Pose. You know, Doug, what you're describing there is moments. Baker being and performing well in moments. Austin Hooper making big catches in moments. And that's what this passing game is going to be. The Browns don't have a 100-yard receiving game this year yet, right? No one's done that yet? Did uh, did did Richard? I think Higgins might oh, have had. Yeah, I know you're right. Higgins had three or four, Higgins. I think. Higgins. Yeah, Higgins. Okay. Higgins in Cincinnati. Okay. So that kind of, kind of spoils where I was going to go with this, but perhaps the stat still works. I would be fascinated to see, like, I, I have a feeling the Browns are going to be near the top of a list of teams that reach, have a winning record and have the fewest number of hundred yard receiving games. Cause it's just not going to happen. I don't, you know, Austin Hooper is not going to have a hundred yard receiving game this year. It, you know, it's going to be hard for Jarvis and Higgins to do things like that again. And, and really the Bengals game was a, anomaly in a way because there's no teller there's there's no chub and you're facing such a weak secondary uh baker had to take over that game we just have spent an entire podcast talking about how Stefanski is going to do the exact opposite of that for the rest of the season so these these this big hooper game isn't coming this, the, you know another big higgins game probably isn't happening baker his tight ends richard higgins jarvis landry need to be big in moments third and 18 second and medium they can keep that up that's how this offense peaks. Again, yeah. the, the miracle of the Bengals game, 82 rushing yards as a team, 316 passing yards. Higgins, six for 110 that game. Dead clock's right twice a day. Doesn't mean I want to buy one, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote after the game that there are really only three passes that Mayfield had to make, and one of those was the one to Hooper. But there was also a similar second and seven earlier to Landry. It was, he, they got 18 yards, and that was the one where he was penalized for yeah. taunting. Uh, and it was the same kind of situation. They got uh, just a few year, yards running on first down, and they were in that situation where they, they wanted to pass on second. And they did it, but then, you know, it's kind of self-destructive with that, with that uh, penalty. The other one was, uh, the, I think, the third and 18 to Higgins, uh, which really kind of helped them escape bad field position too. So, yeah, you, if you only have to make three valuable, important completions per game, you know, that, that – that's easier to do than, than putting the offense on your back and trying to carry it like Mayfield's done a couple times this season. It, it, it's almost something about some of those mid-range throws. It feels like to me that's when his throwing motion looks the best. It's almost like he gets over top of it a little bit, and like throws it like a missile. He doesn't float them. Like he just sometimes when he's, again, the whole thing with Baker, when he's locked in, it's like, oh my God, why can't he do this every throw? And then it's like, oh, that one sailed. So that's not what this podcast is. But there are times you can, I think that's a way... Those moments, you can really ask him in those moments. And, and he has come through in those moments sometimes. And again, it, it does. sometimes it's the third and 18 to Higgins, which was really against the Texans, was practically a game-saving throw on the touchdown drive. But sometimes – go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, I think he, ran, he was running on all three of those throws too. Yeah, on the move, yeah. right. Yeah. And that sometimes it will be that, but sometimes it's just going to be one of those second-down things or whatever that – if you don't complete it, you just punt, you know, it's not a game breaking 
interception, which we've also seen from Baker. But if you don't convert it, all of a sudden you you change field position and it, it's the slow leak of how you start losing a game. So the last thing I wanted to ask about was something you guys touched on earlier. And I, th- I think it might've been Ellis. I can't remember who mentioned it, but like the idea of maybe this doesn't show up statistically, maybe there would be some analytics people who might argue against this. I don't know. But there are times when this run game does get off to a slow start sometimes. That we have seen, okay, well, you know, they had a bunch of two and three yard carries in the first quarter. But it also feels like sometimes that is a necessary part of getting to the end of this, of getting to the fourth quarter where now you're dominating things. So your defense has to keep you in the game a little bit. Baker has to keep make a couple moment throws. But I feel like, is it, would you guys say that it is true? Some of those one and two yard gains in the first quarter serve some sort of purpose that it would be great if those one and two yard gains were five and six yard gains. But even if they're not, does it get this Scott, does it get this run game going and there's a payoff later? Yeah, I would say so because everybody is losing energy at a certain rate over the course of a game, but your two running backs who you're splitting time with are not. So by the end of the game, they have more energy there, I think uh, Ellis was talking about, I think you tweeted out during the Texans game that they're staying fresh. You know, you take Chubb out, you get a fresh hunt. You take Hunt out, you get a fresh Chubb. You take Chubb out, you get a fresh hunt, which I think, I think makes Kevin Stefanski the fresh maker. I don't know. Is that a new nickname we're going to give him? <laughs> it's, 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 it's almost as good as smooth operator. Almost. 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 Maybe get him pictured with a, a, a package of Mentos or something. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, although against the Texans, they had a really good opening drive. I think they, they were averaging like seven yards per carry or seven yards on first down or something on that carry or on that drive. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, if you're, if you're able to alternate uh, both running backs, they're not going to get tired at the same rate everybody else is. And that's going to pay off in the second half. And that's, that's what happened with the Texans. Do you believe in that Ellis or would you, would you run counter to that? No, it, it I believe in it when it is the identity of your football team. If the chiefs, or the Green Bay Packers were, you know, getting one or two yards of carry and kind of muddying around in the first half. I'd be like, all right, what are, what are we doing here? You know, but when it is your football team's identity, at, at times it can be even a necessary evil. Because here's the thing, when you're talking about the run game, you know, the pass game gets artsy. It gets about angles. It gets about timing. And it, and it, and it becomes, you know, plays on a chalkboard. The run game a lot of times is just about mentality and grit. Of course, angles are uh, create running lanes. Don't get that misconstrued, but it's about mantra, a a style. And one thing offensive linemen really enjoy doing, every one of them will tell you that, is run blocking, getting downhill, enforcing their will on their opponent and moving them backwards. They'll do it. And uh, the the pros, of course, don't mind it. But what they don't want to be doing is dropping back into pass pro and letting guys like TJ Watt or Clayus Campbell tee off on them. And they're doing so because – they're down or they're not, you know, sticking to a game plan or, or they're just kind of calling plays like the Browns were doing last season. If this offense knows it's a part of an identity and Kevin Stefanski drills that into him, like, Hey guys, keep this game close. We're going to get them to the fourth quarter. And then you remember what happened in week two. You remember how we put that Colts team away. Do you remember what we did to the Texans come the fourth quarter? That's what we're about to do to team X here. Get us to the fourth quarter guys. And then we dominate. If that's part of your mantra, you get away with those first quarter carries for one or two yards because they know something bigger is coming in the fourth quarter. All right. So that's a lot of run talk. 
That's a lot of run talk. It's I, I think I can feel you can feel fans sort of getting getting used to this, right? And it's 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 fun. It's fun to have like a it's fun to have Aaron Rodgers or it's fun to have Russell Wilson, right? But it's also fun to have an identity. And I think it's funny, Scott. I think Scott, you clearly have the greatest sense of history of the three of us with this Browns team. I mean, there is something when you just say the names Mac and Biner, there's something sort of that bubbles up within Browns fans of a certain age. This is only like a season and a half of, the, of these two guys being together. Do you think that down the road, there will be a generation of Browns fans potentially that when we say Chubb and Hunt, they feel that same thing? I think, yeah, I think there's a potential for that, uh, you know, as long as they can keep these guys together. And really, you know, Mac and Biner were never as good together as they were in 85 when Bernie was a rookie. Uh, after that, the passing game really took off and neither of those guys had the same kind of production as runners as they did in that season. And they each had, you know, their, their own issues and there were injuries involved, but, but there's nostalgia there. And there's that season, there's all these trips to the playoffs. And I think if you add that to what Nick Chubb and and Kareem Hunt are doing, then you get that for this generation of football fans going forward. But the key is going to be keeping them together. I think, no, even, even if they get to a thousand yards here, this season, both of them do, and, and they don't do that again. I think that's still going to stick out in everybody's mind. And I think the key is what happens at the end of the year. Is this a game that just, or a season that just ends after the last game, they don't make the playoffs. And then it's kind of like, eh, well, okay, they had a good year. But if you make the playoffs and you add that on top of it, then that's when, that's when everything becomes very memorable. Yeah. If they break the NFL's longest playoff drought on the backs of these two amazing running backs, people are going to remember these guys for a very long time. And I said, we might get into it. We will get into it later down the road, exactly what it means for the future, exactly what it means for Nick Chubb's contract status. We know Kareem Hunt is locked up. We have plenty of time to talk about that, but right now we're seeing if these guys might get to a thousand yards, great deep dive on the run game. We will be back with quick hits here on this Tuesday. Got to watch the tape from cleveland.com. Wrapping it up on Gotta Watch the Tape again. Sunday, Eagles at Browns. The Browns at six and three. I'll tell you what, it's amazing just looking at that, that the, the playoff picture in general. I think there are only four teams in the NFL with fewer than three losses. And there are 11 teams with three losses. And there are no teams with four losses. Nobody has four losses. So there's this elite pack at the top. And then there's this giant, and it's not even the middle. It's like the top middle, this either six and three or seven and three pack that they're all fighting for playoff spots. And then everybody else is kind of dead. I don't know that anybody in like the three and five or four and five or three and six range is going to rally for a playoff spot. It's just, it's the Browns are right in that juicy middle at a time when man, that juicy middle is really big. So it's going to be an interesting playoff race. That's not my point, but Ellis, we'll start with you. What are you thinking about on this Tuesday as we look ahead to what might come on Gotta Watch the Tape on Friday and what's ahead for this Sunday game? Yeah, well, I, I, I think I want to start making this a tradition on the on the Friday Gotta Watch the Tape. I, just going over matchups, we did that last week. And I think uh, listeners and, and fans I, I need, really need to understand that this game is so much matchup driven. These coaches in, from Wednesday, you know, really Monday to Friday are – figuring out matchups. So uh, breaking down the Eagles, you know, front to back from Carson Wentz to their struggling old line to their lack of receiving weapons. Um, and then to their defense and how the defensive line might make it after Baker Mayfield. Um, are these linebackers going to be able to chase Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb? I think really 
unpacking the matchups would be a fun thing to do on Friday. So we might get some of that. Also, one thing that Browns fans really just need to keep in mind here is, and I talked about it earlier in the show, is how this offensive line is playing. Perhaps it's just time I, I write about it. This is the best offensive line in football. Um, and, and furthermore, Jedrick Wills is really becoming a complete offensive tackle already nine games into his career. It's it, He's the furthest thing from a bust or anything to worry about. Uh, I'm not jinxing him here. That's much confidence I have in him. So, you know, continuing off the run game, this offensive line, and then just how this team matches up with the Eagles. It's, it's going to be a fun week, and this is just a fun time to be a Browns fan. Scott Pasco, what are you thinking about with the Browns or maybe on this Friday, got to watch the tape? Uh, I'm not sure yet what I'm doing Friday, but one of the things I'm, I'm curious to see uh, going into this Eagles game is how much time Sheldrick Redwine gets at safety. He did not play against, or he did not have any defensive snaps against the Raiders, but he had 17 against the Texans. Andrew Sandejo, meanwhile, had his lowest rep count of the season. He only played 45. He's usually right up at the top near among those who have the most snaps. So is that kind of a changing that's going to happen? We've already seen Carl Joseph kind of pushed out by Ronnie Harrison. I'm curious to see if, if we're about to see the same thing with Redwine, who has a really good coverage grade, although he didn't play great against the Texans. He's kind of living off that pick he had earlier in the season. Not a good tackler, but we've seen what Sandejo can do. Maybe it's time to make a change there. So this is an obvious one, but I still am fascinated by it. Carson Wentz played the very first game of his NFL career against the Browns. His first game as a rookie, the Browns trade the pick. He goes to Philadelphia. The Eagles trade Sam Bradford. They open up this opportunity for Carson Wentz. He starts in week one and he beats the Brown 29 to 10, 22 of 37 for 278 yards and two touchdowns. He has lived five lifetimes since then. He helped lead his team in a Super Bowl season, but got hurt and couldn't play in the Super Bowl. He was viewed as this great franchise quarterback, and now he is completely coming down the other side of the mountain, and he is coming to Cleveland for the first time. This guy, there was so much consternation. Should this be the guy? The the infamous Paul DePodesta quote about, we don't, we don't know that, whatever the paraphrasing was, basically the implication of, we don't know if this guy's a top 10 quarterback. I will just tell you this right now, In the PFF rankings for this season for quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield, not great. 28th, 28th for Baker Mayfield, not great. Carson Wentz, 34th. So that's where we are. And sometimes there, people get so wrapped up in the quarterbacks the Browns didn't pick. And when it's, you know, when it's some of these guys, it's like, yeah, I get it. I get it. A lot of people also want a Jimmy Garoppolo here, you know? So, I mean, like there's times. So you have to acknowledge, like, I cannot... Philly is a football town, just like Cleveland is. What they are going through right now, listen, they're going through it with a ring on their finger. And where there's a ring on your finger and a parade memory locked in the back of your brain, that eases a lot of stuff. If you told the Browns, if you told Browns fans, listen, Baker Mayfield's going to lead you to a Super Bowl. He's not going to get to play in it. Case Keenum's going to win the Super Bowl, but he's going to be the quarterback during the season and you're going to have a parade but then he's kind of going to stink after that. You would take it a thousand times out of a thousand. But right now, what Carson Wentz is, is fascinating to me. And I think it is proof more of what you build around the franchise quarterback to lift him up and not necessarily what a guy does all by himself. And the Eagles did it exactly right in building some stuff around him very early. And it feels like maybe that's what the Browns could build around Baker Mayfield. 
And then Baker Mayfield does not have to be Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. So this Wentz thing, I think it can be overdone. And if I was listening to some other podcast and some guy was saying, oh, I want to talk about the, the Browns not drafting Carson Wentz, I'd be like, shut up. Could you have a unique thought? We've only talked about this for five years, except it's me saying it. So I'm not going to say it to myself, but I can't escape it. I can't escape it. Ellis, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, Doug, I think we just called a, a play action fullback pass into the flat for a one-yard touchdown for Janovich here. You just brought us home there with the touchdown. That I mean, I couldn't have said it better, you know? Me and Scott just kind of get to chill back, and you just scored from the one there. Well done. I, I know what I want to do when I deep dive on Friday. I want to try to figure out which fake punt was worse, what the Browns tried against the Eagles in 2016 or what they tried in week one uh, this season. So I think there's, there's some serious competition there. Uh, I can't wait. That headline on the podcast, inside the worst fake punts, Scott yeah. Patsko dives in. That will, that's a money headline right there. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, it's like I, I'm, I'm just curious to see this, and I'm curious to see how, how Browns fans react this week to the, uh, the Carson Wentz arrival. So lots of fun, lots of running backs. Browns 6-3, and three, big game on Sunday. We'll be back on Friday for more Gotta Watch the Tape. Listen to the Orange and Brown talk every day of the week here in the, uh, with our Cleveland.com sports podcast. Just great stuff. Wine and Gold talk. NBA draft coming up. That's some great basketball stuff. Cleveland baseball talk with Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga. Great baseball talk. Um, and of course, Buckeye talk, me and Stephen Means and Nathan Baird talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes five days a week. So thanks to all you guys for listening. On behalf of Ellis and Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.